21. And if you are capable, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Randy. Let's have a word of prayer. God, thanks for so much um, for this morning, for this time that we have to gather together uh, to worship you. Um, God, to come uh, into this uh, holy gathering uh, with our minds and hearts focused on you solely and firstly above all things. God, we pray that whatever work that you do today in our hearts and minds, God, would uh, lead us to uh, just a deeper living for you uh, in, in the context that you've called us, God, in this church, uh, in the uh, workplaces and teams that we're a part of, um, God, in our neighborhoods, that we would be um, uh, fervently for you, um, seeking to please you in all things, all to the praise and glory of Jesus' name. Would you do that work uh, in our midst this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So there's uh, something really satisfying about seeing a bully get what they deserve. Can you agree with that? Uh, we love these moments in, uh, uh, in movies. Uh, we love the instant justice videos on YouTube. We love these mo uh, moments in sports. Uh, when I was growing up, I had the awesome opportunity of watching my brother, um, who was pretty notorious for exercising his own version of justice on whatever bully was on the other team, right? If it's the basketball court or soccer field, he was able to spot that mouthy, bully, dirty player on the other team. And then from that moment on, it wasn't about the sport anymore. It was just about tormenting this person. Uh, and my brother was really good at it, um, almost to the point where he kind of crossed that line and became the bully himself. Uh, but every time he did this, I loved it every single time. It was just really, really fun to watch because if you're like me, then you like to watch bullies get what they deserve. But also, if you're like me, you might have a little hard, uh, you might have a hard time uh, with our passage this morning, right? Because it starts, and we're going to jump into it, Romans chapter 12, verse 17, looking at the first half. It starts in this way. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Okay? Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm not an evil person. And so what I want to do is, is at least bring us to a level ground here this morning where we can all together uh, um, understand that this passage is talking about us. Right? It, it, there's a reason he wrote it. Right? There's something that we all need to understand. And the first thing is this, is that this propensity to pay back evil for evil, it's in all of us. Because we all have a rotten place inside of us. It's our sinful nature, right? God knows that we like revenge in this way. Uh, God knows that we are prone to this, to seek it, to live uh, by, by seeking our own vengeance. And so we are warned against it. Now that word evil here, it is strong, but it's also broad. And what it really is, is it's, a, it's, it's this wretched, bad-natured, literally means rotten, 
right? We all have this wretched place in us, this rotten place in us. As one commentator put it, the rot is already in the wood. We already have this inside of us. We have this propensity to evil. We all have it, right? You and I, we have this rotten place. Have you ever heard of a parent look at their kid and say, that kid's so rotten? You know what I mean? Uh, Many of you have. Uh, I have as well. I was that rotten kid. But the reality is that we all have a rotten place in us. It's our sinful nature. And so this word evil is the broad uh, uh, description of the outflow of the rotten, right? As rottenness and wretchedness comes out of your life and plays into the way that you live and behave and act, it's evil. Sounds like a strong word. But you already understand we, we, we all have a tendency for this. So it's in all of us. But the second is this, is that it takes a lot of forms, right? Especially when you're paying back evil for evil, it looks differently. Some people would say, well, there's an extreme version of that, right? She cheated on me, so I'm going to cheat on him. He stole my stuff, and so I'm going to steal his stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen the the movie John Wick, right? They killed my dog, so now I'm going to kill literally everyone. It's this extreme version of, of payback. And we think, well, that's evil, obviously, but there's also a subtle form to it, isn't it? Right? Uh, think of just in terms of your marriage. He ignored me, and so I'm going to withhold from him. She yelled at me, and so I'm going to avoid her. He didn't give me the affection I wanted, and so now I'm just going to embrace this passive-aggressive attitude towards them. Think about the way that you've parented in the past. Right? I've learned this over the uh, pandemic pretty well, that it's very easy if you don't have your guard up to parent in a way that, that seeks to really just cause suffering and it's, a, it's, it's at a place of spite. It's not uh, uh, instructive. It's not corrective in the way that God would prescribe for us to, to discipline. Right? Uh, my kids inconvenienced me. They did something against my property or something like that, and so I'm going to punish them just simply to get them back. Right? But God calls us to a deeper way of that. Think about your relationships uh, just in the church, right? Have you ever been here and you felt overlooked, you feel taken advantage of? And so your response to that is to slander and to gossip and to back out of everything, even maybe to transition to another church. It doesn't matter what form it takes, whether you call it extreme or, or subtle. It all comes from the same rotten place. It all comes from this evil place inside all of us, okay? We all have it. We all have a propensity to it. But listen, God has given us what we need, right? In the power of the Holy Spirit, in the grace of Jesus Christ, he's given us what we need to respond differently. That's the promise of the passage that we're looking at this morning. We can respond differently. So this, we, this morning we're going to look at four ways um, that we can kind of focus on to respond to evil with good. Right? So respond to evil with good. And the first is this. Look at verse 17. We're looking, uh, let's look at the whole verse here. Do not repay uh, anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. All right? So this is going to be what we're going to call uh, intentional character. He says, he says to give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Now this doesn't mean to become a people pleaser. Right? To live uh, according to the world's code of honor. But it does mean to live to God's code of honor and to be a God pleaser no matter who's watching in front of everyone. Right? This word honorable literally, literally means what is beautiful or what is good. It's the outpouring, it's the out, outward sign of an inward goodness and nobility that is created by the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer. 
So contrast this with our definition of, of evil, right? Where evil is the outflow of, of our rotten self, our sinful nature. God's definition of honor is the noble outflow of godly character. Godly character. It doesn't just happen overnight. This isn't something that you say, you know what, I believe upon Jesus Christ now, boom, I have this godly character about me. It's not automatic, but it demands something. What it demands is careful thought. Careful thought. What I want you to think about when it comes to careful thought is intentionality and prayerfulness. This is how you, you become careful in the way uh, that you are honorable in everyone's eyes. You think uh, about your godly character. You think about your own character issues with thoughtfulness, with prayerfulness, and with intentionality. Don't assume that being a put-together churchgoer means that you don't need to be prayerful and intentional about your character. When was the last time you actively prayed about a character issue in your own life? When was the last time you even noticed a character issue in your own life? And if it's been a while, I'm sorry to bear bad news. It doesn't mean that you've reached perfection. It means that maybe you've lost some sensitivity uh, to your own status of godly character. Because reality is this. We all have character issues. We all have something in our lives that we are to give careful, intentional, prayerful thought to so that we might represent Christ better to this world and to our church. So that's the first one. Second one is this, is to be a peacemaker. Peacemaking, right? The Bible says here uh, in verse 18, it says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. And we already looked at thinking and living with everyone in mind, right? If you track back just, just to verse 17, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, with everyone, right? So, so we have to embrace this idea of living at peace with everyone and making that peace, right? There's a lot of options here. You can either make the peace or you can keep the peace or you can wreck the peace, right? What are peace wreckers, for example? I like the word wreck for some reason. You get the idea though, right? These are the people that leave a trail of, of, of broken relationships because for some reason they just are prone to drama, they're prone to gossip, and they are prone to, to burn their bridges. They're always the victim of some, someone or something. They have a history of pushing people away, including family members, including church members, Right? To give careful thought to your, uh, to your character issues means that you, you finally understand that maybe you're the common denominator. Instead of blaming everyone else, let's, let's focus in on you for a little bit. Bring those character issues before the Lord. So there's peace records. There's also peacekeepers. And it sounds good, and I think there is a good element to it that we'll look at. But there's also another place here where people who are peacekeepers, they, they, they're serious about keeping personal peace. Right? So when they see division, when they see uh, a place that might need some reconciliation, they say, you know what, I'm going to back out of this for my own comfort and for my own peace. I'm not going to get caught in this. And I'm not saying that that's not unwise at times, but when it comes to the body of believers and our relationships with each other, it's not really the point, right? These are peacekeepers. They're not up for getting uncomfortable with others. They might, they might whisper their opinions to somebody else who they already know thinks like them, but they're not really willing to, to go to the hard place of, of investing and creating true peace, a bond of peace. But then you have peacemakers. Uh, 
Which one does the Bible call us to, by the way? Peacemaking. Where we're willing to use all manner of tools, including discomfort, including tension, including conflict resolution, discipline, to keep the bond of peace between all. Not just to, to get it for myself, but to create a bond of peace uh, among all, right? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Certainly there is an element of keeping peace, but look at what he says. We are called to make every effort at it. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. Peaceful reconciliation is rarely a pleasant process. But the outcome is always beautiful. Right? And we see this perfectly uh, when we look at Jesus. He made peace between us and God. He, 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 he brought reconciliation into the picture so that we could have peace with our God. But it was not a pretty process. His life was nothing to, uh, to, to envy Right? His time on the cross was horrible, but that's what it took to create beautiful reconciliation between us and our creator. Okay, so we must be peacemakers. Thirdly, we've got to be others-focused, right? Contrast that with self-focused. Let's look at verse 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, like we previously mentioned, you've already seen the focus of this passage on everyone else, right? Verse 17, or let's look at even verse 16, right? Live in harmony with one another. 17, uh, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Uh, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, and now here, friends, don't avenge yourselves. The focus is on people. The focus is on others. And if we want to respond to evil with good, then we can't be caring about ourselves all the time. That just cannot be our chief concern. It just can't. Nothing beautiful comes from that place of constant self-focus and self-comfort. It doesn't happen. Um, you can go back all the way through Romans 12, and you can see that. You can go through the New Testament and understand that you cannot live for the purposes of the gospel if you are only concerned with you. It just can't happen. Okay? Nothing beautiful or productive for the gospel comes when we have our well-being as our primary focus. And you might say, okay, Adam, well, there's an exception here, surely, right? There's got to be some self-focus required or else how do, you, how do you justify a personal quiet time with the Lord? I mean, isn't that uh, uh, the one time that we are called to be self-focused and to bring ourselves before God? And I would say, of course, that's good. Intimacy with God is always good. But if you think that that time with God is just about you, then you're wrong. Ultimately, that time is about God. That's a God-focused time. Right? It's submitting ourselves to him to see what he might do in us and through us. And also, if you have that time with the Lord, then literally this is the best thing that you can do for the people that you care about is to give yourself to God first. It's not about just you. It's about God and it's about what he can do in you so that he might benefit people and so that they might see the salt and light of Christ in your life. We're called to this. This is who we are to be. And so a general rule of thumb, I think if you're in that place of wondering about self-care, self-focus, 
Right? Here's a general rule of thumb. Worthy self-focus benefits others as well as yourself. Worthy self-focus benefits others as well as yourself. Unworthy self-focus benefits you alone. Does that make sense? For example, you know, my wife, uh, we have four kids at home. Uh, one has some unique needs. Another one is a foster child. And so there's this constant weight of, like, uncertainty with that one. You know what I mean? You never really know what's going on. It's hard to, to try to give all of yourself to a kid, but at the same time know that he's not your kid. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's an interesting place. And so once a week, we try to just set up a time where Kenzie has kind of half of a day to just go, get out of the house, decompress, uh, have some time with the Lord, listen to a good book, take a road trip, go to Goodwill and spend $5, and somehow she fills up a car load with just $5. I don't understand how she does it. But these are the things that are life-giving to her. These are the things that allow her to decompress. Yes, you might call it self-focus, but who benefits when mommy takes these times? I benefit for sure. My kids benefit for sure. Right? Because until that decompression comes, until she has that time to self-focus, right, things just kind of climb and climb. Pressure and, and, and the tension seems to climb. And then when she comes back, she's refreshed and she's ready to go. Right? Even self-focus in that way is for the benefit of others. Versus, there's times when I self-focus, right? One of my self-focus times is on the golf course. I love going out there. It's decompressing for me. It's fun. But there have been times where I go and my time is miserable on the golf course, and so I come back home, and, and my time's miserable at home. I'm not fun to be around. And at that point in time, it was only selfish. It wasn't good because it didn't be benefit other people. You understand that, that general rule of thumb there. But listen, we cannot be peacemakers. We cannot be humble. We cannot truly live for Christ if our self is our chief concern. If, if self is your chief concern, then it always leads to ignoring God's way and jumping into our own. And a prime example of this is when it comes to seeking vengeance for ourselves rather than trusting God with that. And that's right where he goes in verse, um, let's read verse 19 once again into verse 20. Friends, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. And then he says in verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So the last piece I want us to look at when it comes to um, responding to evil with good this morning is to trust God. And when I say trust God, I don't mean just just trust God. I mean trust all of God. Trust his love, trust his blessing, trust his grace, and trust his vengeance and trust his wrath. Trust all of him, not just pieces of him. It all is sovereignly connected anyways. And so you must trust all of God, not just the things that sound cushy and the things that you want, but also the things that we need and even his wrath and vengeance, which we have contributed to. We've got to trust that as well. And there's a few reasons for this. The first is this, and it's a little more theological. It gives us a proper understanding of God's holiness and his gospel. If you don't understand God's wrath and vengeance, then you don't understand the full gospel, right? Holiness is not holiness if there is no consequence for sin, if there is no justice for evil. It's not true holiness. 
Not only that, but the gospel is incomplete apart from his wrath. There's a reason Jesus died. There's a reason Jesus suffered. There's a reason that he went to the cross, and there's a reason God forsake him, because Jesus was bearing the weight of something. And what was it? It was the wrath of God because of the sins of humanity, the sins of you and I, the rotten peace of all of ourselves. He was bearing that. And so if you don't like God's wrath, then you don't like what Jesus did on the cross because he bore it. He took it for us. We can't compartmentalize God. We end up cutting the gospel um, at, at the feet. True holiness demands judgment upon sin. And there is no tolerance for it in holiness. But... There is atonement for it in Jesus Christ. The second reason is this. It takes the pressure off of you. Right? Only God can truly conquer evil. We know this, and he wants to use us in that work, but only he has the power. And he wants to use us in the process. But listen, this is, this is freeing for us because it means that the outcome's not on you. Right? Uh, if you're trying to evangelize a person and they don't believe or they believe, the outcome is not on you. We are called to be faithful, but ultimately he is the one with the power. And so we can serve him and obey him and trust him with the results. This is good and freeing. And the third is this. This is so important. The third is this. God's wrath, we've got to give it a chance to work in people's lives. We've got to give God's wrath a chance to work in people's lives. And you're probably thinking, well, doesn't that just mean that we're just saying we, we want everybody to go to hell? And it's like, of course not. You see, God's wrath has restorative and salvific properties to it. God's wrath actually leads to the repentance of people, right? His wrath is not like ours, right? Our wrath is like he hurt me and so I'm coming at him. His wrath is purposed, his wrath for his people is purposed against the forces of evil and for his people. Ours is purposed just against people who hurt us. God is sovereign and far above petty wrath that seeks merely payback. He has sovereign purposes in his wrath, one of which being restoration and salvation. God's wrath has been used to bring mercy upon his people. Would you believe me if I said that God's wrath has been used to bring mercy upon his people just as much as his love has? It's all connected anyways. Romans chapter 11. A complicated passage, but one that's worth studying. Romans chapter 11. We read this. The Apostle Paul says, I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? And what he's talking about there is God's Hebrew people, right? If you read through the Old Testament, they sinned and sinned and sinned, and God brought wrath and dispersion and exile upon the people. And what you get at the end of the Old Testament is this deluded version of what God had originally established, established with his people. And so the question on the line is like, is this permanent? Have they stumbled so far to fall completely? And then the Bible says, absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So by their transgression and experiencing God's wrath, somehow that was actually used to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And not only that, it makes them jealous. Why does it make them jealous? Well, verse 26 tells us this, and in this way all of Israel will be saved. That somehow that jealousy that has been born in them will lead to their own salvation. That God's wrath upon his people actually is part of the reason you and I are saved today as Gentiles. 
And not only that, but he has a future restoration for his people because of his wrath. It was used in the process. Isn't that awesome? How about a a more practical example, right? Um, When God's wrath comes through the pathways of the church, right? Uh, uh, Church discipline, for example, and God's appointed elders who, who have some authority over the flock, and so somehow, sometimes this wrath takes form in, in just the, the form of church context and church discipline. And 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 10 says this, For even if I grieved you with me on my letter, I don't regret it. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians, right, we're in 2 Corinthians, but if you've read 1 Corinthians, then you understand what he's talking about, because that letter is tough. He's dealing with some serious, serious issues in the church. These people were not worshiping rightly. That, that letter is caused to upset and to grieve these people for all of their wrongdoing. It's a form of God's discipline upon these people. And Paul says that if you read that, you need to know that I don't regret it, even if you're grieved by it. He goes on to say, and if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice. Why? Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to what? Repentance. Your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. And it's after that, and it's in that context that he says this verse in verse 10 that we all know and have come to to really enjoy. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. God's wrath is a part of that process, too. It's a part of your restoration. It's a part of your salvation. I can't tell you how many people I know who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ because their life was in shambles because God let it be so. And a lot of it was because of the consequences of their own decisions, which which exist because of God's loving wrath on his people. Right? One of the examples in 1 Corinthians, just to give you uh, a taste of how bad it was there. God calls the Apostle Paul to to tell the Corinthian church to cast a member out, to literally hand him over to Satan because of a a sexual immorality, incest issue that that was being proudly promoted. And Paul says, hand him over to Satan. But he says, hand him over to Satan. And then he says this, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. See, in the, even in the process of God's wrath through excommunication, the point is salvation. We see a similar thing here uh, at the close of our, our passage this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Read again with me. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. It kind of sounds like a kill him with kindness kind of thing, Right? Like, they're, they're mean to you, and so you be nice to them, but it's really just to, like, get at them and to, like, frustrate them and annoy them. Listen, that's not so much the case. This is a quote from Proverbs chapter 25, and then um, it's a reference to uh, an Egyptian custom where a person would carry a pan of, of burning coals on their head as a sign of contrition and repentance of wrongdoing. All right? So this is saying that when we repay evil with good... We give others the chance of conviction. We give them the gift of of conviction to see the contrast of of their wrongdoing matched with with right doing. And yeah, that might bring some holy shame and guilt upon their heads. But okay, we're going to let that happen because the Bible says that they can respond to that potentially with repentance. Repentance. 
That's good. Have you ever been treated kindly by someone that you did not treat kindly? Somebody that you even kind of, you hurt, and yet they respond with kindness. Um, If you're married to a godly person, then you've probably experienced this a lot. I know I certainly have. Times whenever I'm, I'm the accuser or I'm the, uh, the, the, the harsh one, and yet what I get in return is kindness and love, it's convicting every single time. I've heard of, of marriages who are on the absolute brink because someone is, is colossally hurting their marriage and hurting the other individual that they are married to, and in that person's hurt, and, and angst, they decide to submit it to the Lord, and as a result, they just give themselves to God, and they give themselves to, to love and kindness to their spouse, even when their spouse is, is, is doing drugs and cheating on all that kind of stuff, and the conviction eventually boils over and leads to repentance so often of the time. Not every time, but at least you give it the chance. Even in this, the point is still that God might spare someone. The point is not shame for shame's sake. The point is twofold. It's your own trusting of God's way and wrath above your own. And the second is this. It's the spiritual well-being of others by giving 2 Corinthians 7.10 a chance to work in their lives. Again, that passage says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. God's wrath does not only provide judgment on sin and evil, but he uses his wrath to save and refine people. And really the choice is left to you what form that wrath will take in your own heart and life. What's God's wrath going to mean for you? Will it lead you to repentance over your own sin? Will it lead you to trust in his vengeance over your own? Or will you, as so many people do, refuse the wrath of God because you refuse ultimately to see how you are deserving of it. We've got to let God's wrath produce in us repentance that leads us to salvation so that we might overcome regret. And man, isn't this the point of the gospel? No matter how deep your shame, no matter how full of regret that you are, you can look at your, la- your, your wrath that's being paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ and understand he bore the fullness of it. Sure, holiness demands justice for sin. Right? There is no tolerance for it, but there is atonement in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you have that atonement upon your life this morning. Okay. Verse 21. Do not conquer. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. We do this by careful, intentional, prayerful thought to your own character. We do it by being peacemakers. By being selfless and focused on others rather than uh, ourself being our chief, con- chief concern. And we do it by trusting all of God, not just the, one, the, the pieces that we think we understand and that we want, but even the other things as well. His wrath, his justice, and his vengeance. His version of it all is better than ours. We must trust it. We, we cannot impatiently work ahead of it. And in doing so, he will be glorified. We will be better off. And so will everyone else. Let's pray. Father, would you do this work in our lives this morning? God, uh, show us how to conquer evil with with good and may it begin in our own hearts god this morning as we take an introspective look at our own hearts our own character 
our own tendencies, our own propensity to this kind of rotten evil that is within us, God, would you give us the capacity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of his Holy Spirit to stand against evil and to work against evil with good in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's going to be a few things on the screen for you to have a uh, kind of a t quiet time here with the Lord yourself. A few questions to solicit some thought and prayer. Um, it's possible you've already listened to this.